Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, we're there in John chapter number 3. And uh, John chapter 3, you find a very famous passage, a uh, conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and a man named Nicodemus. In fact, if you look down at verse number 1, let's uh, just look at this conversation for a little bit. John chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I want you to notice how Jesus quickly changes the conversation into a soul-winning opportunity. He says in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you. I want you to notice what Jesus says. This is a famous part of Scripture, well-known passage. It says, Except a man be born again. I want you to notice those two words, born again. In fact, if you don't mind uh, writing in your Bible, underlining your Bible, I'd encourage you to unlike that term, born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus basically stated at this point that the only way that someone can see the kingdom of God, the only way that somebody can get to heaven is by being born again. Notice verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him. Now Nicodemus is confused. Nicodemus never heard this term before, this idea before, and he thinks that Jesus is talking about a second physical birth. Notice what he says. He says, he, he says in verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? He said, I'm already an old man. He said, I've already been born a long time ago. He said, how, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And again, he's just assuming that Jesus is speaking of a physical birth because he's saying, how can I go back into my mother's womb? How can I be born again a second time physically? Look at verse 5. And, and, it's, and it's important to understand this context because a lot of people will use this passage to try to show that baptism is needed for salvation. And I'm not preaching on that subject this morning, but I, I do want to uh, just disprove that from this passage. Because look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water. And see, people will often say, see, you got to be baptized in order to be saved. But I want you to notice that in verse 5, Jesus uh, uh, explains to Nicodemus the difference between the two births. Because keep in mind, Jesus just got done telling me, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is assuming that he has to go through two of the same births, the same physical births, going to, uh, to the womb of his mother again. And Jesus is explaining to him now in verses 5 and 6, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about two physical births. He said, I'm talking about two uh, uh, different types of births. And, and in verse 5, he illustrates two different births. And in verse 6, he illustrates the same two different uh, births. Notice what he says. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, okay, that's the first birth, and of the Spirit, that's the second birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, people will often say, well, the water there represents baptism. But hold on a second, because look, because Jesus reiterates himself in verse 6. Remember, the Bible is its own dictionary. The Bible is its own commentary. The Bible defines itself. Notice what Jesus said in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's the second birth. See, Jesus said, I'm talking about two births, a physical birth and a spiritual birth. He said, that which is born of water, that's the physical birth. And people will say, well, how is being born of water a physical birth? Well, often when a lady is, is ready to give birth, you know, uh, she's expecting and she's ready to give birth, often, you know, what you'll hear come out of her mouth is, my water broke, right? And obviously, there's a whole lot of the, the idea of water is, is, in, uh, in, in, is part of a physical birth there. And Jesus says, look, except a man be born of water, 
and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which was born of the flesh is flesh. He is defining for us the first birth. That which was born of flesh is flesh. And that which was born of the Spirit is spirit. Notice verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So he's telling him, you don't have to be born again physically. He said, you're only born uh, uh, physically once. You're only born of the water once. But he said, you need to be born again spiritually. You need to be born again uh, of the Spirit. Now, Jesus used this term, being born again, to explain or to illustrate this idea of salvation. Often, Christians will be referred to as born-again believers. Who's ever heard that term before? Being a born-again believer, being born again. It's all referring to salvation. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because this morning we're, we're beginning a brand new series called Accelerate Your Growth. And we're going to be talking about what the Bible teaches in regards to growing as a Christian. But whenever we begin a brand new series, I always like to kind of preach an introductory type sermon and, and lay the foundation for this idea of growth. And today, I want to speak to you on the subject of being born again, and specifically that there are three things that we can learn about salvation from this term, born again, or from the idea that Jesus gave, which is basically equating salvation to a new birth or to, uh, to a birth. Now, uh, you're there in John chapter number three. Go back a couple of pages or maybe one page to John chapter number one. And let me say this. Some of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning may be uh, review for some of you, and that's okay. You don't have to turn here, but in Philippians 3, 1, Paul said this. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Sometimes it's good for you to hear things again and again. In fact, the Bible teaches that that's how we learn, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. But you know, our church is a growing church. Our church is constantly bringing in new people. And sometimes the things that you've heard several times, it may be the first time that someone's heard that. So we want to try to teach that and lay that foundation. That's why we are a fundamental church, because we go back to the basics. We go back to the uh, just the, the fundamental doctrines, beliefs of the faith. So I want to just preach to you about the three things in regards to salvation that we can learn from this idea of uh, born again or being born. So let me say this. And for those of, you, those of you that like to take notes, and I'd encourage you to take notes, if you don't have a baby on your lap or something like that, I'd like you to write these statements down. Number one, write, write this statement down. Since salvation is a birth, according to Christ, since salvation is a birth, it does not require any personal effort. What we can learn about the salvation from the term being born again is that salvation is a birth. Jesus illustrated it. He equated it as a birth. Therefore, it does not require any personal effort. See, when a child is born, when a child is born, there's a lot of work that's being done. There's a lot of effort being put forth. In fact, the process of, of, of giving birth is often referred to as what? Labor, right? She's in labor. But here's the thing. The child's not doing any labor. Who's doing all the labor? Mama. And, you know, depending on how crazy mama is, maybe daddy a little bit, you know. I, I, think, I thank God for my wife. We have home births at, at home with a midwife. And my wife, she's a trooper, you know. She's, a, she's just like, stand there and be quiet 
and let me do all the work. I'm thankful for that because I know some some people, some some you know uh, guys when they their their wives are giving birth, they gotta get you know we do home births, we do uh, 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 water births where we have a tub set up and my wife gives birth underwater. I know some guys were like they have to get in the tub with their wife. And they got to be like rubbing the shoulders and they got to be rubbing the feet and they've got to be apologizing for what I did to you and all of this. My wife's just like, you know, just stand there and let me do all the work. So I'm thankful for that. But, you know, mom is doing all the work. And here's the thing. The baby is just he's just, you know, the baby's just along for the ride. Right. The baby's just there. The baby's being pushed out. The baby's just, you know, sitting there. And Jesus, I believe Jesus used this term of being born again because here's what you need to understand. When it comes to salvation, guess what? God does all the work, but the person being born doesn't do anything. There's no labor. There's no effort. There's nothing they've got to do. They're just there along for the ride. Are you there in John chapter 1? Look at verse number 12. John chapter number 1 and verse 12. And if your wife makes you get in the tub and do all those things, I'm not against you. I just... I just go, I'm just glad my wife's not crazy. John chapter 1, look at verse 12. Notice what it says. I'm just kidding. John chapter 1, look at verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. But as many as received him. Okay, that's salvation. But as many as received him. That's talking about Jesus. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become, notice, the sons of God. Do you see that? See, when you got born into your family, you became the son of your father. You became the son of your mother. You became the daughter of your father. You became the daughter of your mother. But when you got saved, you were born again spiritually into the family of God. And the Bible says, as many as received them, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. How do you do that? Even to them that believe on his name. It's through faith. It's through your faith, through your belief in Jesus Christ. But notice verse 13. Which were born. Okay, talking about those that were made the sons of God. Which were born. Notice, not of blood. Not, not, not a physical birth. And notice what he says. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He says, when you're born spiritually, when you're born into the second birth, he says, look, you're not born out of the will of the flesh. You're not born out of the will of man. It's not that any man decided, I'm going to birth myself into the family of God. I'm going to be born into the family of God. No, it's but of God. It is God that does the labor. It is God that does the work. It is God. And listen to me. Today, we have a whole lot of people that are trying to add their personal effort to being born again. I'm trying to add their personal effort to salvation. You're there in John chapter 1. Go with me to the book of Romans. You're going to go past the book of Acts into the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 3. Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. Once you notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. Again, we're laying a foundation for this idea. Romans 10 and verse 3, the Bible says this, John Acts Romans. Romans 10, 3, notice what the Bible says. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish, notice what the Bible says, they're talking about the, the, the unbelieving Jews here specifically, and going about to establish, notice, their own righteousness. Many, many people today, they want to try to get saved by establishing their own righteousness, by having their own Good deeds, their own good works. And notice what he says, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that, what's that say? Believeth. You see that? So how, how do you get the righteousness of Christ? 
through faith, through believing. Okay, but there's two types of people, those that are going about to establish their own righteousness and those who have received Christ, who is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Notice verse 5, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. Notice verse 6, but the righteousness which is of what? Faith. Faith, right? What's faith? Believe. There's a righteousness which is of faith. Speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. Notice verse 8, but what saith it? Now, hold on a second. What saith what? I want you to notice this, because today there's a big debate, you know. People often want to ask me, you know, does someone have to confess with their mouth in order to be saved? Uh, well, I think that's what the Bible says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, but people are like, well, you're adding words to salvation. Well, look, you need to read the Bible. Because notice what the Bible says. But the righteousness which is of faith, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Okay? The righteousness which is of faith is speaking. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? What saith what? The righteousness which is of faith. And notice he says, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The people say to me, Well, what if I believe in my heart, but I don't want to confess? Then you don't have faith. Because he says, the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth. Here's what he says. If you've got faith in your heart, you have faith on your mouth. If you have faith in your heart, he said, the word will be nigh thee. Notice what he says. But what saith thee? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. So again, I, I, don't, I don't want to preach on, on the sinner's prayer and all that. But here's what I want you to understand. There are two types of people. Those that are going about to establish their own righteousness and those that through faith have called upon Christ and have received the righteousness which is of faith, which is through Jesus Christ. Go to the book of Ephesians. You're there in Romans. You're going to pass 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And people are always trying to come up with their new little, you know, my, my, their new little idea where they're going to try to show that everybody else is wrong and they're right. But look, the Bible is very clear. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. Amen. So we need to just quit trying to come up with our cute little ideas and just stick to what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8. Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse number 8. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. For by grace are you saved. That's what we're talking about, right? That's what it means to be born again. You're saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now notice what it says. And that not of yourselves. And what's not of yourself? Being saved. You don't get saved as a result of anything that you... You don't produce salvation. Just like the baby doesn't birth itself, so the, the, the Satan individual doesn't save themselves. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now notice, notice, and here's what I want you to understand. Adding works to salvation. Because what, we're, we're talking about the term being born again, right? What can we learn from that term? Here's what we can learn. Because salvation is a birth, it requires no personal effort. And when people want to add works to salvation, what are they doing? They're adding personal effort to salvation. They're, birth, they're trying to birth themselves. No, now, now notice, effort, labor, 
work. Aren't, aren't all those things talking about the same concept? Look at verse 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. Not of... Let's read that word together. Works. All right, that was, you need to work a little harder at reading, all right? Let's do it together. Not of works, right? Now notice, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what happens when you go out soul winning? Knock on somebody's door. Hi, we're coming for every Baptist church. We want to give you and your family an invitation to church. Oh, thanks. Great. Listen, more important than going to church. You know for sure if you died today, if you're on your way to heaven? Oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, great. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Well, you know, I used to be a drug addict and I used to be a drunkard, but I'm not that anymore. And then I got baptized and I read the Bible and I go to church once every six weeks. And I think that's good enough to get me to heaven. You know what that person's doing? Boasting. They're bragging about how good they are and all the things they've done. Well, I used to do this and I used to do that and I used to be into this. But, not, you know, I quit all that. Listen to me. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is what the Bible says. And when you add works to salvation, what you're doing is you're adding personal effort. You're, try, you're like a baby trying to birth yourself. So it's not going to happen. The baby is just, there's someone else that does the work, and that someone else in salvation was God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Titus. Chapter number 3, Titus. If you're there in Ephesians, you're going to go past Philippians, Colossians, into 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. All right? So all those T books are clustered together. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. Now, while you're turning there, let me ask the, let me ask the question. Is it, is, is it warm? Are you warm? If you're warm, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're warm. Okay. If you are cold, raise your hand. You're cold. Okay. The warms have it. So we'll turn the air on. Great. Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 5. I always take, you know, I take uh, bribes too, if you want to just, whoa, we'll put the temperature whatever you want for the right price. Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Titus chapter 3. Now do me a favor, when you get to Titus, put a ribbon or a bookmark, you know, a Baptist distinctive bookmark that you have. And uh, in Titus chapter 3, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, okay? Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Notice what the Bible says, okay? Let's read it together. First three words. Not... By works, right? Now notice what he says. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Okay? Because remember, in Romans 2, 3, it said that they are going about to establish their own righteousness. And here he says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Here's what I'm trying to explain to you. Salvation, since salvation is a birth, since Christ chose to illustrate or explain salvation using the term being born again, what we can learn from that is that salvation requires no personal effort. Someone else does all the work. You just get born. You just get birth. It's not of works. It's not by works of righteousness. And when we try to add works to salvation, and there are plenty of religions today that will try to add works to salvation. They'll tell you, if you're going to be saved, you have to get baptized. Now look, baptism is a good thing. You're sitting in a Baptist church. We're going to baptize today after the service. But we don't believe that baptism is required for salvation. Because if you have to get baptized to be saved, then you are being saved by your personal effort. By your work. There are people today say, you got to go to the confessional booth to be saved. They'll say, you got to go to church to be saved. They'll say, you got to put money in the offering plate to be saved. They'll say, you got to treat your neighbor right and you got to do right. Now, look, no, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's good to treat your neighbor good. It's good to put money in the offering plate. It's good to be faithful to church. It's good to try to live a good life. But if you're trying to do all that in order to be saved, you're adding works, you're adding effort to something that as a baby, you're just along for the ride. 
Jesus taught that salvation is a birth. Therefore, there's no personal effort. So adding works to salvation is adding personal effort. But let me give you another one, all right? Because there's another way people try to add works to salvation, and it's a little more deceptive, and it's this. Adding this idea of repent of your sins to be saved. When people say you've got to repent of your sins in order to be saved, what they are doing is they are adding personal effort to salvation. Now, let me, let me show it to you. Go to Jonah chapter number 3. In the Old Testament, in the Old, and I want you to go to the verses because I want you to look at them. In the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, you got all those uh, prophets. You know, you got the big prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Then you've got all the minor prophets, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. All right? Jonah's right after Obadiah. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Today you'll have people say, you've got to repent of your sins in order to be saved. And let me, let me say this, number one. You will never find that term. <coughs> Excuse me. You'll never find those four words, repent of your sins. You will never find those four words in the Bible at all, anywhere. You'll find this word all throughout the Bible, repent. All throughout the Bible, we're being told to repent. You've got to repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Oh, the kingdom of God is at hand. We're always being told to repent. But we're never, we're never told, especially in regards to salvation, you're, you never you see this term, repent of your sins. You'd think it'd be part of the Bible as much as people will say. Often people will just throw it in. You know, they're like, well, you know, you got to believe on Jesus Christ and you got to repent of your sins to be saved. It's like, where do you get that from? Because the Bible doesn't use that term. Now, here's the people say, you know, I'll preach this way and people say, that pastor doesn't believe in repenting of your sins. I never said that. I don't believe you got to repent of your sins to be saved. I do think Christians should be repenting of their sins. Once you're saved, you got to be repenting of your sins every day. You ought to be trying to get right with God and do right every day. Hey, repentance is part of the Christian life, and repenting of your sins is part of the Christian life. But in order to be saved, you don't have to repent of your sins. Because if you had to repent of your sins to be saved, you're adding works to salvation. Let me prove it to you. Are you there in Jonah chapter 3? Look at verse 10. Jonah chapter 3. This is a great, the famous story of Jonah. Remember, Jonah walks into Nineveh, preaches the great sermon, and, and, and they start repenting. Notice what they do. Jonah chapter 3, look at verse 10. And God saw their works. Do you see that? God saw their works. But what did he see? What did they do? Notice that they turned, that they turned from their evil way. The word repent means to turn. Now, I want you to notice what's going on here. These people did a good thing. They turned from their evil way. They repented of their sins. But I want you to notice that God defines that action as works. I mean, are you there? Look at Jonah 3.10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And then, and then the Bible tells us that God himself repented of the evil that he was going to do because he was going to destroy Nineveh. He says, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did, and, and he did it not. And of course, God didn't sin. God is just in destroying whatever nation he wants because he's God creator. But here, the, the word repent means to turn. And when they turn from their evil way, God defined that as work. So here's the thing. If the Bible says that salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. If the Bible says, you know, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, and God says, when you turn from your evil way, that's works, then do you have to turn from your evil way to be saved? The answer is no. Because look, if I have to, if I tell someone, in order to be saved, you got to quit smoking. In order to be saved, you got to quit drinking. 
In order to be saved, you got to quit, you know, fornicating or you got to whatever it is that you do. You got to quit cheating. Uh, you got to quit lying. You, whatever it is you want to tell somebody, if I'm telling them you got to do anything in order to be saved, then you're adding works to salvation. Then you're adding human effort to salvation. So the question is this. Well, when the Bible talks, you know, all throughout the Bible, God said to repent, to repent. What is he talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. Matthew 21. Look at verse 32. Some of you are like, I didn't ask. Well, I don't care. Matthew 21. Let's look at it. Matthew 21. Look at verse 32. Some of you need this question answered. Go to Matthew. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew 21. Look at verse 32. Matthew 21. Look at verse 32. Matthew 21, verse 32. Notice what the Bible says. Because people say, like, well, didn't John, didn't John preach that you got to repent? Absolutely. Let's look at what the Bible says John preached. Because remember, the Bible is its own commentary. The Bible, let the Bible define itself. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual is what the Bible says. Matthew 21, 32. Notice what the Bible says. For John. Matthew 21, 32. I want you to look at it. For John... Came unto you. This is Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter edition Bible, this verse is in red letters because this is what Jesus said. Notice what he said. For John, now this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. For John came unto you in the way, uh, came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. So what did the Pharisees do with the message that John brought? They believed him not. Notice, but the publicans. And the harlots believed him. Those are all the sinners. Those are all the bad people. So Jesus is looking at the Pharisees saying, you religious group, you religious crowd, John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. Now notice what he says. And ye, when ye had seen it, when ye had seen what? When ye had seen that the publicans and the harlots believed him, notice what he says, repented not. He said, you didn't repent. Well, what were they supposed to repent of? What is it that they hadn't done? They had not believed. Now notice what he says. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might quit drinking alcohol. Is that what he says? That ye might quit fornicating. Is that what he says? That ye might stop being a drug addict. Is what he says? No, he says, ye repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. Because he says, here's your problem. You didn't believe. If you would have repented, if you would have turned, you would have gone from not believing to believing. Right. See, we do believe that, that there's a part uh, that salvation, that, that repentance can play a part in salvation. What we believe is that it plays a part in going from unbelief to belief. Go to Acts chapter number 19. You're there in Matthew. You're going to go past Mark, Luke. John into the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. See, tonight I'm going to preach about the religion of Hinduism. We love uh, Hindu people. We, we, they're not our enemy. We're not mad at them. We want to get them saved. We want to preach them the gospel. And by the way, not all Indians are Hindus, just, just so you understand that. It's a major religion in India. But listen to me. If a Hindu is going to get saved, they've got to turn from their false belief and believe on Christ alone. That's repentance. If an atheist is going to get saved, they've got to go from believing there is no God to believing that there is a God and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. There's nothing wrong with repentance when you're going from I didn't believe, I now believe. I was believing a false doctrine, now I believe the true gospel. But when you tell someone you've got to turn from your sins, now you added words to salvation. Now you added human effort. Are you there in Acts 19? 
Look at verse 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 19, verse 4. Notice what it says. Then said Paul. Because Paul's talking to people about John. And it's interesting because that's, that's the name that always gets thrown around. We're always being told, well, John preached about, uh, repentance. John preached repentance. You're right, he did. What, what did he preach? Well, Jesus told us that he preached that you need to be- believe. Acts 19, look at verse 4. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. It's true. Saying unto the people, what did, what did John say unto the people? That they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. What was John preaching? He was preaching, you've got to believe on Christ Jesus. You've got to quit believing in your... Because remember, the Pharisees were going about to establish their own righteousness. He said, you've got to quit trusting in your own righteousness. You've got to quit trusting in your own works. You've got to quit trusting in your false religion. And you've got to turn from that belief system and believe in Christ. So see, is repentance part of salvation? It can be when you're going from unbelief or no belief or false belief or believing in a false idol to believing in the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But do I have to quit smoking? Do I have to quit drinking? Is there anything associated to sin that I've got to do? I've got to feel bad about my sin. I've got to feel sorry. None of that is found in Scripture. Because again, Jesus equated salvation to a birth. And if, since salvation is a birth, it does not require any personal effort. The baby's just along for the ride. Someone else does all the work. You're there in Acts. Go, go back to John, one book back to the book of John. Go back to John chapter 1. We were already there, but let's look at it real quickly. John chapter 1. And let's, let me say this. I said number one, since salvation is a birth, it does not require any personal effort. But here's the second point this morning. I'd like you to write this down if you're writing down, if you're writing notes. Since salvation is a birth, since salvation is a birth, it is not lost by any personal failures. See, number one, since salvation is a birth, it does not require any personal effort. But since salvation is a birth, it is not lost by any personal failures. See, in John chapter 1 and verse 12, we are told this, But as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When you believe on the name of Christ, you become a son of God. All right? Keep your finger there in John chapter 1. Go with me to the book of 1 John, towards the end of the New Testament. 1 John. If you kept your place in Titus, did you keep your place in Titus? I think I told you to keep your place there. If you did, uh, from Titus, you want to just go past Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1, 2 Peter, into the book of 1 John. If you didn't keep your place, you can go from Revelation backward. You can go past Jude into 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. Okay, it's right towards the end of the New Testament. I want you to get there because I want you to look at it. 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. So you, have, you, should have like a, uh, you should have a finger in the Gospel of John towards the beginning of the New Testament, and then you should be in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to go back and forth here for a little bit, so I want you to be able to go quickly. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold... What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. John says, look, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we, sinners, 
through calling upon Christ, through believing in His name, should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, notice what he says, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And here's what I want you to understand. When you got born again, if you were born into the family of God, that relationship is not, does not hinge upon performance. The Lord has blessed my wife and I with five wonderful children. We have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a three-month-old. And you know, the nine-year-old, our oldest, is getting to the place where he's becoming quite a help. And even, even uh, our seven-year-old is becoming quite helpful and they're able to start, you know, bearing some of the load of the work. But you know what? My nine-year-old is as much my son as my two-month-old is my daughter or my three-month-old. My three-month-old basically does nothing. She just lays there. She eats. She does other things. And... And, and, you know, I try to get her to take the trash out. She won't do it. I try to get her to, uh, you know, wash the dishes. She won't do it. Try to get her to fold the laundry. She won't do it. She won't do anything. But she's still my daughter. And today you got people saying, well, if you don't live right, if you don't do right, if you don't do the works, you're no longer a, a son of God. No, no, no. See, being born into a family is not based on performance. Once you're born, that's a permanent relationship. And here's the thing, my children will be my children for all of eternity. My wife and I will only be married until death do us part. And in heaven, we will no longer be married. And in fact, my wife said, you know, in heaven, she don't even want to talk to me, you know. <laughs> said, I need a break, right? But, but here's the thing, my children will be my children forever. Now in heaven, I'm not going to tell them what to do. And even once they're adults here on this earth, I'm not going to tell them what to do. But that will always be my son. That will always be my daughter. They will always be my children in the same way. When you become a son of God, when you become a child of God, you're always a son. It's a permanent relationship. It's not based on performance. It's not lost by personal failures. Salvation. See, there's security in our salvation because Jesus chose. Jesus could have said, you know, that salvation is like getting a job. And if he would have said that, then we could think, well, you can lose a job. But he said, no, no, salvation is not like getting a job. Salvation is like getting born again. Being birthed. Having a heavenly father. That's why we get to come to God and pray, our father, which art in heaven. That's why we get to cry, Abba, Father. We get to approach God as our heavenly Father. We behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Because that relationship is not based on performance. And that relationship is not lost on personal failures. That is a permanent relationship. I will always be a son of God. Just like my sons will always be sons. And there's security in that. You're there in 1 John chapter 3. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 10. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. You're there in 1 John 3, just a couple of, couple of chapters over. 1 John 5. Notice what the Bible says. He that believeth. You notice how that word keeps coming up? Why? Because salvation is all about belief, faith. By the way, the whole Christian life is about faith. The just shall live by faith. That's what the Bible says. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, he that believeth not, hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. He said, if you believe the record, 
He said, if you believe the record, you have the witness in yourself. He said, but if you believe not, you, you're calling God a liar. You've made him a liar. You're calling Jesus a liar. Why? Because you believe not the record that God gave of his son. So this record is pretty important. What is it? Well, he tells us in verse 11. And this is the record. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. See, when, I give, when, when, when my wife and I have a child and my wife gives birth to a child, we are flesh. So we give birth to flesh. This, this flesh is temporal. And one day their lives physically will end. But when God, who's eternal, gives birth, he gives eternal life. And you get it the moment you believe. That's why in John 3.36 it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It doesn't say you are going to get it one day. He says you have it. You have it. You have it the moment you believe. And it'll never end. It'll never stop. One day when you die physically, you'll just go live with God for eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's security in salvation because people today will teach. People today will teach. They'll say, well, you're saved. But if you go and kill somebody, if you don't repent of that, if you commit suicide, if you, if you, if you get off the path, if you start living for the world, then, then you're going to go to hell. God's going to take away your salvation. No, 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 no. What, what could I ever do to make my son stop being my son? Nothing. He'll always be my son. He'll never quit being my son. And I'll never stop being God's, God's son also. Go, you're there in 1 John. Keep your place there. Go back to John, the book of John. John chapter 10, look at verse 28. Notice what Jesus said. John chapter 10, verse 28. John chapter 10, verse 28. I know we're looking at a lot of passages this morning, but, you know, welcome to Verity Baptist Church. It's what we do. John chapter 10, look at verse 28. We look at more Bible in one service than most churches look at in a whole series. John 10, verse 28. Notice what he says. John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Look, if you perish after God gave you eternal life, that makes Jesus a liar. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And notice these words. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Today you have people say, well, no one can take your salvation from you, but you can, you, you can be the reason that you lose it. You can, you know, give it back, or you can reject it, and you can... But listen to me. When the Bible says, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Does that no man include this man? Even I can't pluck myself out of my Father's hand. He says, look... Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's Jesus. This is salvation. You were placed in the, in the hand of Jesus. And Jesus said, neither shall any man pluck them out of my, my hand. And just in case you're not sure, he says, my father which gave them to me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Now that proves the deity of Christ. It's the same hand. But, but if, if you don't want to take that as a deity of Christ uh, uh, verse, then here's what he's saying. Jesus... You got put in the hand of Jesus, and then God the Father puts his hand over Jesus. You're not getting out. <laughs> Say, well, I, I, you can get out if you quit drinking. No, no, no. My, my daddy's stronger than your daddy. My father's stronger than your father. No, no, no one's getting you out of that hand. There's security in the term born again. Because if I'm born again, if salvation is a birth, it is not lost by any personal failures. Now, if you're there in 1 John... Did you keep your place in 1 John? I want you to go to the book of Hebrews. So if you're in 1 John, you're going to go, uh, uh, you're going to go backwards, past 2 and 1 Peter, 
past James into the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews, there's a quote. In Hebrews, there's a quote from the book of Proverbs. Now, in Proverbs, you don't have to turn there, but in Proverbs, the Bible says this, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, even every son whom he receiveth. Even as a father, excuse me, the son whom he receiveth. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are, uh, that, that passage is quoted, and I want you to look at it in Hebrews 12. Look at verse 5. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. The Bible says, And ye, Hebrews 12 and verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you, notice, as unto children. God speaks to you and I as unto children. My son, despise not the chains of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, please understand this. When we say we believe in the eternal security of the believer, that once you're saved, you're always saved, and you can never lose it. There's nothing you do that would cause you to not be saved. What we're not saying is that you can just do whatever you want and nothing's ever going to happen to you. Because guess what? If you've got a heavenly father, good fathers discipline their children when they do wrong. But look, performance alters the relationship between the father and son how that relationship, not the fact that there is a relationship. I've got two boys. If I tell my boys, go clean your room, and then we're going to go get some ice cream, and they don't clean their room, and they say no, and they disobey, what, what am I going to do as a loving father? I'm going to discipline them. I have to discipline them. I'm probably not going to go get ice cream. They're probably going to get spankings, right? Now, does that mean I don't love them? No, actually, because I discipline them, it shows that I love them. And that's what a heavenly father does to you and I. When we sin, when we go down the wrong path, when we choose to disobey, he chasteneth every son whom he receiveth. He scourges. He doesn't, but he doesn't say, you're out of the family. Look, if I walk to my boys and say, why don't you guys clean your room? Well, we decided we, you know, we had a better idea. We're going to go play out back and play ball. I'm not going to say, get out of my house. You're out of the family, <laughs> right? No, I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to spank them. I want to make sure they obey. But look, whether I have to discipline them or whether we're getting milkshakes at Cold Stone, either way, they're my children. Either way, I love them. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening. You ever got spanked by God? You'll, you'll know it when it happens. If ye endure chastening. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But, but if ye be without chastisement. Look, if you can run around and do whatever you want, live in sin and nothing bad ever happens to you. Notice what he says. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. And people don't like that word. You know, they're like, that's an offensive word. It's a biblical word. God said it. Okay, God said it, not me. We just read it. Then are ye bastards. You know what a bastard is? No father. No father around. He said, look, if you can just run around and do whatever, you might not be saved. You might not be born again. You might not have a heavenly father. If every time you, you do something wrong, God comes down on you hard. Hey, just realize, at least you got a father that loves you, who's watching out for you, who's trying to make sure you're doing right. But listen to me. Being born again means that when we sin, when we do wrong, God chastises us, God disciplines us, God corrects us, God scourges us, but it doesn't mean he takes away our salvation. So number one, since salvation is a birth, 
It does not require any personal effort. And number two, since salvation is a birth, it is not lost by any personal failures. Number three, we're done, right? This is the third one. Since salvation, I can write the statement down. Since salvation is a birth, it is the beginning of a personal journey. Since salvation is a birth, it is the beginning of a personal journey. You're there in Hebrews chapter 12. Go back to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. See, birth is just the beginning, right? Isn't that true? I mean, how many, how many, how many ladies get married, then they have children? And by the way, that's, that's the order, biblically. You get married, you have children. All right? I know our world, you get, you know, you have children, then maybe you get married. Okay? That's not the order, according to the Bible. You get married, you have children. All right? Some of you men need to go home and make sure your daughters understand. Here's the order. You get married, you have children. All right? So how many ladies get married and have children, go through the nine months of having, you know, bearing a child, the morning sickness, the this and the that. Then they go through all the hours of labor and pain. They give birth to that child. Then the nurse or whoever brings the child says, would you like to see your baby? How many moms says, oh, no, no, I'm done. We're done. I gave birth. That thing is on its own. No, see, birth is a beginning, right? Birth is just the beginning. And when it comes to salvation, birth... See, we like to think salvation is the end all. It's the end game. It's the point. But listen to me. It's not. Salvation is just the beginning. See, God expects you to grow. God expects you to grow. Do you know that? Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. In fact, once you take that baby home, sometimes you're wishing it was back in the womb. Right? Because that's when the work begins. That's when you got to get to work. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 12. For when for the time... Notice what he says. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... This is... I believe it's the Apostle Paul. You may disagree. I think it's Paul who wrote Hebrews. Whoever wrote Hebrews, the Holy Spirit, is talking to Christians and he's saying... You know, it's time that you ought to be teachers. He said, you, you've been doing this long enough. You, you ought to be teachers. Ye have need. He said, instead, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Now look, who drinks milk? Babies. You're like, I drink milk. Okay. I drink milk by coffee. Okay. Uh, who only drinks milk? Has a diet of just milk. Babies. Right? Now notice what he says. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. See, God says, yes, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye must be born again. But listen to me. That's not the end. That's not the point. That's not the end game. He says, that's just the beginning. He said, now I want you to grow. Now I want you to go from milk to strong meat. I want you to mature as a Christian. Look at verse 14, Hebrews 5, 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, grown up, that are mature Christians, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want you to remember that term. Discern both good and evil. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. You're there in Hebrews. You're going to go past James, 1 Peter. Hebrews, past James, 1 Peter. We look at a lot of passages, but at least I try to guide you through them, right? Hebrews, James, 
First Peter. We're almost done. First Peter. In fact, that's the last place we'll go to this morning. First Peter. Actually, no. We'll go to one more. <laughs> First Peter chapter two. Sorry. First Peter chapter two. Look at verse two. First Peter chapter two and verse two. Notice what the Bible says. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. See, God wants you to grow. Go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Notice what he says. But grow, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. See, God says, you start off as a babe, but I want you to grow. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. All right, um, let's see. Okay, let's go to one more. This is the last one, I promise. Philippians chapter 3. Go to Philippians. This is the last one we're going to look at. Philippians chapter 3. Towards the middle of the New Testament, you got 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Let me say this. God wants you to grow. God wants you to grow. That's what this whole series is about. We start with being born again. What's it mean to be born again? It means that salvation is not of any personal effort. It means that you don't add works to salvation. It means that you don't have to repent of your sins to be saved. It means that once you are saved, you can never lose it because it's a permanent relationship with God. Not based on your performance. He might discipline you based on your performance, but you're not saved based on your performance because salvation is a birth. But here's the other thing we can learn about salvation. Salvation is just the beginning. If salvation is a birth, it's just the beginning. God expects you to grow. God expects you to grow. Now, here's what I need you to understand about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. See, in our culture, we have maturity all mixed up. Spiritual maturity and maturity in the Bible are measured differently than how we measure maturity today. We measure maturity today by time, right? You're 16 years old, you can drive. You're 18 years old, you can vote. You're whatever old, you can do this, you can do that, right? We measure it by age. God doesn't measure maturity by age. And by the way, let me say this. God doesn't measure maturity by age, spiritually or physically. In the Bible, you measure maturity by the amount of responsibility that you're able to take on. See, Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I don't care if you're 17 or if you're 37 years old. If you play video games all day, you're living in your mom's basement, you're a child. That's what the Bible says. I know some 17-year-olds that are more mature than some 30-year-olds. Why? Because they're responsible. They have responsibility. They provide for themselves. See, you become older, you become mature when you're able to take care of yourself. Not age. So see, in the Christian life, it's not, well, I've been saved for this many years, so therefore I must be mature. No, 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 no. In the Bible, maturity is measured by performance. Now, here's the thing. Salvation is not by performance, but maturity is. You understand that? We, you say, how do you gauge maturity? Because as a pastor, I often need to gauge people's maturity. We have a spiritual leadership class here. where I, Every three weeks on a Tuesday night, I gather with a group of men, and I'm training them to be leaders at our church, to be pastors one day, to be evangelists. I've got people, I've got someone right now that's wanting to be part of the class, and I've got to gauge their maturity, whether or not I'm going to even allow them to be part of the class. You know, I've got people, uh, when they want to uh, be in ministry here, when they want to lead certain things, I've got to make decisions. Is this person mature? 
And sometimes I make the wrong decision, you know, and then that gets awkward, you know. But, uh, you know, we've got to make decisions because this person mature. Is this person someone that we, can, that we can trust with responsibility? When I hire staff, when I hire staff, I've got to determine, is this a mature person that we can trust? You know, oftentimes as a pastor, I need to get references or I need to give references for, for a person. And I've got to be able to measure, is this a mature person? Is this spiritually mature? And let me explain to you how you measure growth. Let me explain to you how you measure performance, how how you measure maturity. You measure it by measuring numbers. What are you talking about? Listen to me very carefully. Numbers don't lie. You you know how I don't hire someone at Verity Baptist Church to be on staff here? I don't walk up to them and say, you love the Lord, right? Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. Everybody loves the Lord. Especially when you're talking to the pastor. Everyone loves the Lord. Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. You know, I got a hangover from last night, but I love the Lord. Because I'm talking to pastor right now. All right? You don't measure maturity by what people tell you. You look at the numbers. When I want to know if someone's spiritually mature, you know what I ask? When I want to know if someone's spiritually mature, you know what the numbers I want to get? I want to know, hey, how's your church attendance? Are you Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? How's your church attendance? How's your church attendance for the last three months? How's your church attendance for the last six months? How's your church attendance for the last 12 months? How's your church attendance for the last 24 months? If you've missed church for, you know, you, you don't ever come back on Sunday night, you never come back on Wednesday night, you come, you know, once every six weeks on Sunday morning, I want to know why. I'm saying, I don't want to know why if you're just a church member who wants to come to people out of church, but you want to preach here, you want to lead here, you want to, you know, do something of, of leadership here, I want to know the numbers. How faithful you are to church will tell me a lot about your priorities. How faithful you are to church will tell me a lot about, you know, what, what you put first. If you're missing church, I want to know why. I ask questions like this, how's your soul winning? I don't know, how faithful are your soul? You hit and miss? You, you here every Saturday or you, you here once a month? How's your soul winning intentions been the last three months, the last six months, the last 12 months, the last two years? I, I, wanna, I, I have specific questions. You want to be part of my spiritual leadership class? You better be ready to answer this question. How many times have you read the Bible cover to cover? I want to know. Well, I read the Bible. Okay. How much? How much time? You say, well, I don't think you should. Look, when you're measuring people's growth, you measure it by performance. You're not saved by performance. You're not saved by what you do. But what you do says a lot to me about where your priorities are. You know what I check? I check giving statements. Pastor, I don't think you. Doesn't the Bible say where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? I want to know, is your heart down at the casino or is it down at Verity Baptist Church? Is your heart down at the bar or is it down down with the the people of God, with the house of God? I, I check giving statements. I, I, I talk to people. I ask them to explain to me doctrines and, and, and what they believe and why they believe it. And I try to get, you know, you can tell if someone knows their Bible or not. I'm not saying we all have the answers to every question. I'm just telling you the numbers don't lie. But let me say this. Let me say this. There's two ways to measure maturity. The first one is through performance. Somebody comes up to me and they're like, I'd like to preach a sermon on Sunday morning. And it's like, uh, you show up to work, to, to church once every six weeks. I don't think so. You're not that faithful. You know, you're not that consistent. Your numbers tell me something different than what your mouth is telling me. All right? But there's another way you gauge maturity. There's another way you gauge maturity. It's not just through the numbers. Now, the numbers get you in the door. The numbers are just a starting point. But then you know that you could go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know that you could go to church every time that the doors are open. You know that you could go soul winning every day of your life. You know that you could read the Bible every day. You know that you could pray every day and still not be mature as a Christian. Because motives matter. Because sometimes people do things to be seen of men. 
In fact, Jesus, Jesus said this about the Pharisees. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. He says, you are so meticulous in your performance, you pay tithe off of spices. When someone hands you a little bit of pepper, you figure out what 10% of that is and you give that back to God. He said, your numbers, they're good. But then he said this to them. He said, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the others undone. See, more than just the numbers, the numbers get you in the door. I mean, if you're not even tithing, we already know where your heart is as far as financially. Don't let that offend you. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But, but once the numbers are there, then we gauge the weightier matters of the law. Then we gauge judgment, mercy, faith. Listen to me. If you are not good at judging, discerning, if you display an, if you display an inability to, to discern or make proper choices... I'm looking at that and saying, you're not mature. I'm not mad at you. I just want you to grow. If you lack mercy, if you're always having problems, it's always funny to me, all of us have problems with people from time to time. But it's always funny to me how like, you'll always have these certain people where they always have a problem with everybody all the time. And whether they're part of this church or they go to the next, you know, they have, I used to feel bad because it's like, oh man, these people have a problem with me. But then I find out like, well, they had a problem with their other pastor and they had a problem with the pastor before that. And some people are just looking to have problems. They lack mercy. They're not able to play. And when kindergarten, their grade thing, their report card said, does not play well with others. You know? And look, if you don't play well with others, there's people, there's people that I would like to put into leadership positions, and I can't because I think to myself, they just don't get along with anybody. No one wants to work with them. They lack judgment. They lack mercy. They lack faith. Faith. If you're overcome with doubt, you're not exercising faith. If you're overcome with fear, you're not exercising faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Doubt is the opposite of faith. If you're just always scared, oh, what's going to happen next? Hey, all that, I'm not mad at you. All it tells me is you don't have faith. You may be tithing off the mint and the anise, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. See, how do you measure growth? How do you measure growth? By performance, but even more than performance, it's an attitude in your heart. It's the judgment and mercy and faith in your heart. It is who you are, which is why we are beginning this series and will be in this series for the next several weeks entitled Accelerate Your Growth. Why? Because we want to teach you how to grow, how to mature as a Christian. All right, I had one last place I wanted you to go to, Philippians chapter 3. Are you there? Philippians 3 is the last one we'll look at. Because I'm preaching to a, a lot of people today that you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I don't need this series. I got it all put together. I go to church, and I tithe, and I go so many, and I got judgment and mercy and a whole lot of love. You know, you're just like, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm the package. I mean, pastor's lucky to have me here. <laughs> Forget pastor. God is lucky to have me. Let me explain something to you. If you're thinking that, if you thought just, oh, I don't need this series, you, you're the one who needs this series most. You're the most immature person in this room. Philippians 3.13, notice what Paul said. Brethren. Brethren, I, this is Paul speaking. Now keep in mind, Paul, the greatest soul winner who ever lived. Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived. Paul, the greatest evangelist who ever lived. If you are a believer this morning that is not a Jew, you owe your salvation, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Apostle Paul, who brought the gospel to the Gentiles, who brought the gospel to the world. 
who wrote most of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I mean, are you, are, are, are we're measuring his numbers, right? When, you, when God uses you to write most of the New Testament, you're pretty spiritual. You're pretty mature. Notice what Paul said. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God's still working on me. He's saying, I can still grow. He said, I wrote most of the New Testament, but I'm not apprehended. I brought the gospel to the, to the known world, but I, I'm not attained. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark. He said, I'm trying to get better every day. Now listen to me. If Paul says, I can get better, you can get better. And I can get better. And if you're sitting here saying, I don't need this series. You need this series the most. You need to get right with God right now. Get your heart right with God right now. Because we can all grow. We need to accelerate our growth. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Don't answer it out loud. I want you to ask yourself this question. How is your spiritual growth? How is your spiritual growth? You say, well, how do I measure that? Look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. Are you basically at the same place today that you were the day you got saved? Your attendance to church is basically the same today as it was when you got saved? Your Bible reading is the same today as it was when you got saved? Or your prayer time is the same today as when you got saved? Some of you, for some of you, it's worse. That's called backsliding. I'm just asking you, how's your spiritual growth? Because God expects you to grow. If Paul says, I press toward the mark, then we all need to be pressing toward the mark. How's your spiritual growth? Are you growing spiritually? Are you learning spiritually? Are you, are you uh, doing new things for God? New things? And I want to give you some action steps. We're done right here. I want to give you some action steps, all right? Here's the action steps. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I want to challenge you to be faithful to every sermon in this series. For the next five or six weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of accelerate your growth. And this was the introductory sermon about salvation. We're going to move on from here to very specific and practical things. I want to encourage you, be here every sermon in this series. And I want to encourage you to make this decision. Make this decision today. Choose to grow. Choose to grow. Choose to say like the Apostle Paul, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church and thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would please encourage, that you would please encourage people, that your Holy Spirit would work on the lives and the hearts of people to grow. And if they don't know, well, where is my spiritual growth? They need to look at their numbers. They need to look at their performance. And people might say, well, I've been saved a long time. Yeah, but you're acting like a baby. You're not, take, you're not able to take responsibility for yourself. You're not able to lead others. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have a church that is growing. Not just physically. Not just numerically. Not just financially. But spiritually. That we'd be growing. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. In your precious name I pray. Amen.